it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. I would like to see him set foot in the state of Oregon. I'd love to see, like, TV cameras from KGW and COIN and K2 kind of capturing him touring a uh, ballpark uh, site and MLB to PDX, uh, getting a whole bunch of momentum and uh, letting everybody see that. Um, In the last 25 or 30 years, there have been a number of false starts. And, And granted, a lot of this is not the fault of Portland Diamond Project. There have been false starts. I can remember Mayor Vera Katz in City Hall saying, we really want baseball, and really kind of crowing about how important baseball would be and what a legacy move it would make. And remember the Expos were uh, were touring and looking at potential sites. And by the end of it, I think everybody kind of looked back and said, oh, we got used by MLB. Um, and so I guess one of the things that I have been wrestling with in the last uh, 24 hours is, is it okay to be hopeful about MLB to PDX? And I do think it's okay to be hopeful. I do think it is. I also think the Portland Diamond Project needs to know that there are a lot of people out there rolling their eyes who have an exhaustion with the effort, who really need to see action. They need to see the Diamond Project get control of a piece of land. They need to see the renderings. They need to see Manfred in the state of Oregon. They need to see those things maybe more so than other markets. And and it's why I want to bring our next guest onto the show because, you know, our next guest is a fantastic baseball writer who covers the game, understands the game, senior contributor at Forbes magazine, a Baseball Writers Association of America member, Maury Brown, Forbes magazine, joining us. Uh, Maury, how you doing, man? I'm great, John. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I get a lot of people who are asking me, probably like you today, hey, is it is it mm-hmm. is this real? Is it okay to hope? And, you know, let's just unpack this a little bit. You know, the Diamond Project says, you know, they'd like to buy 164 acres from the city of Portland. It's a big swing if they can do it. Um, you know, I'm not I I'm I'm all about somebody making big plans, but you know, what was your reaction when you heard that news yesterday? Well, I think I've looked at it as, you know, they've been awfully quiet for a long time. And so I do wonder about whether the timing of it and, you know, looking at what's been going on in Salt Lake City and the fact that for, you know, a while now we've been wondering whether we're coming close to looking at expansion talks. And I believe we really are. I mean, look, the A's are a mess right now in Las Vegas, and we don't know what's going to ultimately happen with that. And the Rays are still working through their things. But you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And when I talked to Rob Manford at the All-Star break last year, he said, yes, we see that. We're going to look at expansion at the opportune time. We'll go ahead and put together an expansion committee and go about that. So from that perspective, I looked at it and I said, well, you know, Terminal 2 on the waterfront didn't come through. Lloyd Center didn't come through. Talk about putting it across from Nike World Headquarters on Tektronix property didn't come through. Okay, this seems like a maybe a last gasp, you know, of trying to do something here. But look, John, I look at it this way. If they make this thing fly and they get that land, even if they can't get the ballpark done, they will have that land and will be a step above everybody else. They can develop it and do whatever they want with it at the end of the day. 
but they will allow them to be further along than others have. And I think that that is something for them to look at. Yeah, and I, I keep saying, look, you know, I was looking at 164 acres and I was going, gosh, where would that put this project? And it turns out, Maury, that would be the, the biggest stadium project in Major League Baseball history. Like, this would be a huge development. And if you're going to try to get Manfred's attention or the other owner's attention, I, I kind of think that's the way to do it. Like, that is a big swing. It is, and it is one of those things, if you look at what Craig Cheek and what the Diamond Project have looked at and what the kind of the blueprint is for what the league has kind of wanted from other clubs and what helps the owners is this idea of building the quote-unquote the battery that the Braves have, which is a mixed-use development around the ballpark. They get to the benefits of that without having to put that on the books of the Braves. And this would be what would happen in Portland. They would go ahead and they would develop a bunch of stuff around it. You could make it an entertainment district. You could put a major hotel there. You could put restaurants and shops, something that would be exciting even if you didn't have the ballpark. But if you put it around the ballpark, it's a major thing to go ahead and have. So, again, that's a a plus. That helps pay for the $2 billion ballpark. That helps pay for potentially a $2 billion expansion fee. I mean, it's a lot of money, John. And the only way you could do that is to have that. So I think that is a feather in their cap. If they can get that land, it would absolutely allow them to do that mixed-use development around it. Irrespective of the transportation issues and whatnot, it is something more than some other places. Certainly the Lloyd Center location would have been very difficult to do that. Yeah, and I, I look at that, and I know a lot of people wanted the Lloyd Center because it helps with the city development, but 25 acres versus 164 acres uh, it's a whole nother conversation. We're talking to Maury Brown, Forbes Magazine senior writer, Baseball Writers Association of America member. Maury, let's uh, talk a little bit about Salt Lake City. I kind of think Salt Lake City, you know, they're more evolved, they're further along, feel a little more sophisticated, a little more aggressive, pup, more public. But I kind of feel like they may have nudged the Diamond Project to do something. It, can you can you tell us a little bit about what you know about Salt Lake City's effort? Well, it's the Miller family, and if those that remember, of course, what's what's happened with Larry Miller, you know, now he's passed away, but the Miller family that owned the Utah Jazz, look, that the Miller Foundation has considerable resources at their disposal. So somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 billion, $2 billion of that was the sale of the Jazz, or just shy of it. So look, that's that's quite a considerable sum that they know is in place. And then they have a political gamut right now that's really pretty remarkable. The Romney family and a bunch of private equity that goes around them. And again, from top to bottom on the political landscape, state, local, you know, regional, that, and it's all very public on their website. Now, again, with all of this stuff, it's very easy to put your name to something um, when it's conceptual. When push comes to shove and you actually have to put pen to paper, things can shift. But I would say this right now. I mean, one of the things that have always been a question mark around the Portland effort is where is the money? Who are these people? And that really has never come to light. You know, there's been seed money and they've been able to do stuff, but they have yet to be able to close on a deal, John, whether that was Terminal 2 and whether that was a deal with the city and the pandemic or whether the deal in Tektronics that didn't come through or the Lloyd Center. And at a certain point you have to go, are, you know, do you have the money? Are you really serious about making this happen? And again, I would get back to this. This seems like a last gasp. I mean, maybe you can go out on the east side somewhere in Gresham or something, but this is, again, this would be the fourth effort 
that they've talked about now to try and make something happen. Going public with it seems to me that they're maybe moving this a little bit longer than they were before. But again, until it's, you know, a deal in hand, it's just talk right now. All right. I'm going to share something that I know that I've been kind of working on behind the scenes. And, you know, maybe you can put your head on this as well. Friday, they have a meeting with Mayor Ted Wheeler in City Hall Chambers. Diamond Project, Craig Cheeks there, along with his team. He brought with him the the primary investor. That primary investor, I'm told, is a tech person from the Bay Area in California. And uh, I have been given no other information than that. I have been unable to uh, identify who that person is. I'm not thinking it's Tim Cook, the Apple CEO, but... Um, I think you're right in that, like, I think the market needs to see some proof of performance. It needs to see more tangible things. And I don't I don't know if Salt Lake and other markets need that as much as Portland does because of the last 20, 30 years of all the talk. But how important would it be to have that billionaire investors identity out there? Well, it'd be huge. It really would. I mean, I think at this point it almost becomes a necessity because of what Salt Lake has done. At, at a certain stage, I mean, look, there, there's all kinds of um, political gyrations that go along with this in terms of how it happens, right? Um, there is, you know, how the markets lay out, what is, what is it in terms of what the league would want to see. But at the end of the day, John, it really boils down to one thing and one thing alone. Who's paying for it and, and do you have the money? It really does boil down to that. I mean, if we didn't, if we had that happen in – Let's in Oakland, or if you would have that happen, if you have that continue to happen in Tampa Bay, then those things tend to come around. Las Vegas's deal isn't a great one by any stretch of the imagination due to the media market. I mean, I actually think that helps Portland. If you're willing to go into Las Vegas, granted, there's a bunch of uh, tangible items around Vegas that make it you know interesting for Major League Baseball. But if you're going to move into a media market that small. Portland's would be larger. And so that, you know, was always an open question mark. How can you make the media market fly in Portland? Well, if you're going into Vegas, maybe the media market's not that big of a thing, or it's it's certainly not the biggest thing that you had before in front of you. So, again, I think with all of this said, you get that land, whether they ultimately put a ballpark on it or not, you're holding that. And that is a development factor, and it's a huge leg up. They would have a leg up on everybody, and again, it would be a forcing function. At, when this all happens, John, there will be a bidding thing. There will be you know, dark horses, and there will be trying to gin each other up to make something happen. And Portland has been used in that in the past. You alluded to that up front. I think that Portland, again, if they can come all the way through, then it's other markets that are ginning up Portland as opposed to Portland ginning other people up. Maury Brown, Forbes Magazine, senior contributor with us covers baseball uh maury um you mentioned you kind of alluded to the traffic i think a lot of people wondering you know the uh the property the red tail property already it's kind of a traffic nightmare with 217 and highway 26 and but i keep telling people and you tell me if i'm crazy like atlanta had a lot of the same questions when they were building in cobb county and what they ended up doing was they said, hey, we're going to invest in infrastructure. And they put money into the roads and the freeways. And, and you know, and people uh, who attended the World Series later said, hey, that was amazing. Like, we thought it would be a nightmare, but it was great. Like, are these things that 
get dealt with after, or is that something you have to deal with up front? Is hey, we gotta we gotta ease concerns about the traffic. Well, I think up front, you you know, look, you get the land, and then you kind of deal with it later. I mean, if you <laughs> look, you buy 164 acres, and you're going to develop it with whatever. There has to be a conversation around infrastructure. It would be very difficult, I think. First of all, there's no mass transit. Whether you know the West Line that runs out there, which is the small train that runs between the Beaverton Transit Center and Wilsonville, wouldn't be enough. I mean, you could put shuttles in there. It's about a mile to walk, so obviously that would be difficult. You want to have something closer in. You know, Shoals Ferry would be a mess. Hall Boulevard would be a mess. I mean, they, it would be difficult. But there's no way you're dropping any substantive development. You know, it's a huge chunk of land. That and Alvin Rose Dairy in southwest Portland, is it, those being developed would be the largest developments in some time in the city. So, again, both of those are in southwest Portland. Both of them are around there. Both of them have considerable infrastructure conversations that go around them. But if they can develop 194 acres around Alpine Rose Dairy with far more congestion problems, I live a stone's throw from it, then they should be able to do something there. Again, the difference, of course, is game days, you know, 30,000 people potentially, you know, plugging in during what would be at the tail end of rush hour. And that would be, you know, that would be tough. Maury Brown, Forbes magazine. Maury, we'll get you back on to talk more about it, but... I appreciate you joining us and kicking it around. John, thanks so much, man. You have yourself a great day. Thanks for having me. You too. All right, great stuff from Maury. And and look, I think he's right that you you know, you you don't just say, Hey, we're gonna do a stadium, hundred and sixty four acres and eh, we don't really have a plan for the traffic. But I already know, like you and I have both been on two seventeen or highway twenty six at four or five, six o'clock, and we've gone, What is going on here? With it, it's gridlock. And so Maybe, maybe, let me just throw this out there because I'm one of these people that tries to, uh, in my own family, talk about, let's talk about solutions instead of problems. Um, maybe what comes of this is, you know, state of Oregon, city of Beaverton, city of Tigard, Washington County. Maybe they get their heads together and go, hey, we already have a problem. Let's solve this. Let's let's do something proactive and, you know, on non-game days, maybe your commute is better because the ballpark's there. Not worse because the ballpark's there. Just spitballing. We'll keep you apprised of this, but the next move for the Diamond Project is to make the formal written offer. I'm told that should come within a week or two to City Hall, uh, Mayor Ted Wheeler, and the four city commissioners. It's four commissioners right now. That's five votes. The four commissioners plus the mayor. They need to have four of the five approve the sale. So some obstacles there, some potential for the city to politicize it. But I think Mayor Wheeler's got an opportunity to get a big win in an embattled tenure. He has an opportunity to be like, hey, uh, I'm part of the solution. This happened on my watch. This is going to be great for downtown Portland and the businesses and the restaurants that are going to obviously have, just like Atlanta, have people staying in downtown and then traveling out to the ballpark for a game. Leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. In the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to go to Alabama. Spanning the globe. We're going to go to Alabama, where Joe Goodman of Alabama.com 
He writes a column. He covers Alabama and the SEC. We're going to check in. The Kalen DeBoer move, the arrival of DeBoer, the landscape of the departure of Nick Saban. We'll check in with Joe Goodman, who has his finger on the pulse of the SEC. And we'll do that in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Steven's got the 5 at 5. But first, we've got a little bit of news. What's the big splash? Here we go. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, the Seattle Seahawks have found themselves a head coach. Baltimore Ravens coordinator Mike McDonald is the new guy in Seattle. Uh, Tom Pelissaro of the NFL Network first reported it earlier this morning. Press conference introducing McDonald at Seahawks headquarters is expected to uh, be put together. Jody Allen, three weeks ago, said that uh, she and general manager John Schneider had a vision of a new and different version of the Seahawks. Well, this is new. This is different. McDonald's 36 years old. He'll be a first-time head coach, exactly half as old as Pete Carroll. I couldn't help but think about the similarities, the parallels, between the Seattle Seahawks organization and your Trailblazers organization. I couldn't help it. First-time head coach who's never been a head coach, Chauncey Billups with the Blazers. First-time head coach, Mike McDonald. Granted, it's the NFL. It's a different animal. It's harder to be that bad in the NFL because of the parody, but a little bit of a course correction and definitely some parallels. Think about it. Seahawks organization traded away their star player, that quarterback Russell Wilson, a couple seasons ago. Blazers traded away Damian Lillard. Uh, McDonald becomes the second coach in Seahawks history who comes to Seattle with no head coaching experience at any level. Jack Patera was the other former Minnesota Vikings line coach who uh, led the Seahawks in their inaugural season of 1976 through 82. Uh, McDonald uh, with the Ravens was fantastic this season. First team in NFL history to have the best defense when it came to sacks. Turnovers produced and points allowed per game. They did a number on the 49ers. I'm sure Seahawks fans are going to hold that up as evidence that this is a great hire. Um, Kyle Hamilton, who's one of the Ravens who flourished in Baltimore, said that uh, that uh, Mike McDonald is, quote, super cerebral, end quote. Hamilton told the NFL Network that from the Pro Bowl. Uh, the Seahawks have their guy. It's not Pete Carroll. It's kind of the anti-Pete Carroll, if you think about it although both have a defensive background. Seahawks fans, tweet at me, at John Canzano BFT. Tell me what you think of the hire. I think it's really interesting. I think it's potentially um, uh, you know, a good move. But uh, K.J. Wright talking about it. Here's what he had to say about the new coach. The proof is in the pudding when it comes to his defense. We're talking a bad, bad defense this past year. Doing it with a bunch of just, I'm not going to say jags, but doing it with some guys that are not just high-profile type of defensive players. He did it with those group of guys. See his personality. See that he did it at the college level, at the pro level. He comes from a phenomenal culture, a phenomenal organization. The Izzy Newsoms, the Harbaugh's. 
And um, I believe that everyone in the city of Seattle would be in, in, on full board and full <clears throat> go with bringing them in. I went back and I looked at the Ravens' defense as it pertains to the salary cap. About $90 million in cap dollars on that Ravens' defense among the 22 players that they have on the defensive side of the ball. That's about 37% of the payroll. I compared that to the Seahawks, who uh, you know are a little bit different, uh, take a little different approach, I guess. But the Seahawks have 120. Uh, $107 million in cap room uh, you know, spent on the defense, about 43% of the roster. So McDonald doing better by with spending less money with the Ravens. Can he keep that up in Seattle? We'll find out. But as a Niner fan, I got to tell you, this doesn't scare me. First-time head coach doesn't scare me, in part because I'm distracted. The Niners are playing in the Super Bowl. And what are we now, like 10, 11 days away from the kickoff and – a uh, whole bunch of developments on that front, but uh, Seattle's got their coach. Kind of feel like the C- if you're a Seahawks fan, you'll support it. I also don't blame you if you feel like this was a dodgeball game and Mike McDonald was one of the last guys left on the playground and uh, the Seahawks picked him. I, th- I think it's a potentially a, a good hire with some upside, and it moved really fast. Uh, apparently the Seahawks uh, met and interviewed uh, McDonald uh, for the first time yesterday. Hired him today, so they must have seen something they liked. All right, coming up, we'll play some Punch It audio. We'll take a trip around the world of sports, and uh, we'll visit in the 5 o'clock hour with Joe Goodman, who covers the SEC in Alabama. Uh, A lot going on, and we haven't even talked about the Super Bowl yet. It's been a little shift in the point spread in the Super Bowl. We'll deal with that in the 4 o'clock hour as well. you got the bald-faced truth. I appreciate that you're here and that you're listening and that you're engaged. And I really enjoyed that first segment today. If you were part of it, and you were here... We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.